Take your Bibles, please, and turn to John chapter 4. That's where we are today. John chapter 4, we are continuing, continuing a series we started at the last Sunday of uh, 2021, Always Near. Jesus is always near. Here's the key concept today. Jesus hears your prayers from the emotional pits. Jesus hears your prayers. John chapter 4, we're going to start the reading in a bit in verse 46. And this message is about prayer. Interestingly enough, when we read the passage that we're going to be studying today, the word prayer does not occur. Prayer is not uh, singled out in this passage at all. But I think that in the dynamics of the events that you're going to see, we see a lot about how we ought to pray and what we have promised as we pray. So as you, as you find John chapter 4, verse 46, let me tell you a true story about a man named Bill Irwin. At 50 years of, old, of age, Bill Irwin decided to hike the Appalachian Trail, the entire Appalachian Trail. Now that's a trail that runs from Georgia up to the tip of Maine. And at 50 years old, he did this, and as he retells the story about his journey, he says, specifically, I fell on that trail more than 5,000 times. A matter of fact, he tripped and fell 20 times a day for more than eight months. Now, you might say to yourself, my goodness, what would cause this man to trip and fall so many times on this trail that others travel? The fact is, Bill Irwin is blind. It was a grueling and difficult trip for this blind man. He had only his guide dog to go with him on this month-long journey. And it was long and it was tough. And as I read that little story, I thought to myself, you know, we too are on a long, tough journey. And the long, tough journey that we're on is called life. But Bill Irwin only had a dog as his companion, but you have one who is near to you all the time, who is ready to listen every moment, who will respond to your prayers with grace and mercy. Sometimes we feel alone. Sometimes, maybe at night when sleep won't come, when the problems of life just are churning through your mind, when you begin to worry about the things you'll face the next day, and it seems like I'm facing all of this all by myself. But you never are. This morning we're going to talk about a certain type of prayer. That you can pray to the one who is always near to you. A prayer from what I, where I call the emotional pits. The prayer that comes out of you when you are desperate. When you're ready to go way out on a limb to beg God for help. And that's just what we're going to see here. We're going to see a man beg Jesus for help in the time of his desperation. So you follow along as I read. John chapter 4, verse 46 is where we start. It says this, Once more he, meaning Jesus, he visited Cana in Galilee where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. And when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Verse 48, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, you may go, your son will live. 
The man took Jesus at his word and departed. And while he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, The fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that this is the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and all his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. This setting is still fairly early in Jesus' ministry. But he's recently been to Jerusalem, and he went to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And while he was visiting Jerusalem for this particular Passover, some of the events that you read about in the Gospels took place. First of all, he cleansed the temple of the merchants for the first time in his ministry. Second of all, he performed miracles. John tells us in chapter 2, verse 23, probably miracles of healing at this time. This is the visit in which he meets with Nicodemus by night and talks to the teacher of Israel. And also, as all of this is happening, Jesus is beginning to develop a following a following of people who are interested in this rabbi from Galilee, so much so that as we begin chapter 4, here's what we read. It says, the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back, at once, went back once more to Galilee. See, Jesus understood his mission. He understood the pacing and the timing of the mission that he was on, and he understood that it was not time yet for a full-fledged confrontation with the religious leaders. That's going to come, but it's not time for that yet. So he leaves Jerusalem as, the, as things are getting going, and he makes his way north from Jerusalem. And instead of going the way by, by the river, by the Jordan River, which was the travel, that, the way that most of the Jews traveled, Jesus went overland in the middle of the nation through the Samaritan territory. And in that Samaritan territory, he met a woman by a well. And that woman in the, in, at, by the well of Sychar came to know him as the true Messiah. And to the shock and the dismay, no doubt, of his disciples, he stayed in that little village of Sychar among the Samaritans that the Jews had no fellowship with. He stayed there two days. Now, here's what happened when Jesus stayed there, verse 40 of chapter 4. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers." Underline the word words. Because of his words, many more became believers. They came to faith because of the teaching of Jesus. They came to faith because they believed what he said as he described who he was, the mission that he was on, what God was up to. They believed it because of his words. That's going to be an important point in our setting today in Galilee. Because he left that, that uh, small village after two days, and he went further north, and he came into the Jewish region of Galilee, and there he came to the city of Cana. And while he was in the city of Cana, news spread that Jesus was back in the region. And farther north is a town called Capernaum, and the royal official came from Capernaum 20 miles south to see Jesus in Cana. 
this royal official comes and begs Jesus to come home with him. You got to come back with me. My son is ill. My son is dying. Now, we don't know much about this royal official. This is the only place where he appears in the Scripture. But we know that he travels these 20 miles because of his sense of desperation regarding his son. Now, you need to remember this. It's likely that Jesus was going to Capernaum anyway because that was his base of operations in the Galilee region. But this father sensed that timing was crucial. He sensed that he simply couldn't wait. He couldn't have Jesus hang out in Cana, and it could be that Jesus was planning that because Nathanael was a resident of Cana, one of the, the disciples, and so you can imagine Jesus making this a rest stop along the way, staying a couple days. That would not work for this royal official. No, no, you need to come right away, come right now, so that my son will be healed. Now, the word royal official, the literal translation of that is king's man. This is a king's man. In other words, he's an official in the government of Herod Antipas. Antipas is not a fan of Jesus. Jesus is not a fan of Antipas. Antipas is the Herod that will soon have John the, ba- uh, John the Baptist's uh, uh, head Uh, taken from him. And Antipas is the man that Jesus referred to as that fox. There's no love lost between these two. And this man is, is, is choosing to place his trust and his faith, at least in the ability to heal his son, in Jesus. In other words, he's taking a position that would not be popular with his boss. But he's at that point of desperation where really that doesn't matter anymore. He's at that point of desperation where things like that take second place. It doesn't matter that it takes some effort to get there. It doesn't matter that it's quite a distance. It doesn't matter that when he comes, he's placing himself in a humble position before a rabbi from Galilee. It doesn't matter. He's used to giving orders, but now he's the one who's going to beg, and he's begging because his need is desperate. And I want you to see that this is where all the prayers from the pits begin. They start with a great hurt that prompts a huge desire and feels a massive need. And that's what he felt. I have a massive need. I can't solve this. And so 20 miles he walked, and every step of the way it was a lifted prayer. I want my son to live. I want my son to be healed. I want my son by my side. See, prayers from the pits have different focus, but they have in common the place of desperation. I want my husband to come home. I want my daughter to get off drugs. I want my boss to lighten up. I want my life to turn around and and become something meaningful. I want my son to get out of jail. And this man has a genuine, heartbreaking prayer need And he knows what to do with that prayer need. I mean, he's going to bring it to Jesus. He doesn't go to Antipas. He doesn't say, King, I'd like to be able to have your royal doctor treat my son. Surely he has some better mechanism to do that. No, he knows better than that. He knows that this is desperate. He knows he has to go to Jesus when he's desperate. And he knows that probably based only on a rumor based only on what he's heard, but he believes what he has heard about Jesus. He believes that this rabbi whose reputation is getting going is something special. And because he believes that he acts on it, and because he acts on it, he comes, he extends effort. I want my son to live. 
And so he gets there. 20 miles later, pick up the reading in verse 47. When the man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. And Jesus responds, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. Some, some observations about that. I want you to see how specific this man's request was. Very specific. Jesus, come back with me and heal my son. Come back with me to Capernaum. No, don't wait. Don't delay. There's no time to waste. Right now, let's go. In other words, he's saying, Jesus, here's the way I'd like for this to go. Here's what I want you to do for me. This is the way I think this whole thing should be settled. Very detailed. Very specific. Now, we may excuse this man because of his emotions, but I don't think it's ever wise to dictate how God should answer your prayers. But before we criticize this man too much, don't we fall into that trap? Dear God, give me that job, that one. That's the one I want, that one. Give me that grade, I might, that's the grade I want. Give me that boyfriend, and I'd like him to pop the question this weekend. Meet my need, my way. We often act in our prayers as if we're smarter than God, as if we need to coach Him regarding the management of our life. But after all we know about God, wouldn't it be better to say, Lord, if this is Your will, wouldn't it be better to say, Lord, I think this is what I want, but what I really want is what You want for me, and I'm willing to receive it the way You will do it for me in the timing in which you have for me. That's how we should pray. Putting our needs and requests before Him in a sense of humility. But before we get to the answer that Jesus gave Him, look at the, in the initial reaction, verse 48. Jesus is speaking. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told Him, you'll never believe. Now, that doesn't sound like a good beginning to me. Why does Jesus say that? Is he mad at this guy? Is he offended with the specific way he kind of framed his request? Is he offended when we ask specifically? See, we have to see this in contrast to where Jesus has just been. Notice that he says, you people, you people. He's speaking to the man, but really he's speaking through the man to the crowd. Because what's happening in Jesus' ministry now, it's, it's starting to take on a circus-like atmosphere of people crowding around him. Jesus is the talk of the town, not just the talk of the town, the talk of the region. That's how this guy has heard about it. That's how he knows Jesus is back in Galilee. Everybody's talking about it. And he's back in Cana where that whole wine miracle thing happened. And word is spreading and crowds are gathering and some of the crowds that come, they need a miracle. And some people in the crowd have only come to see a miracle. See, I, I want to be impressed. I, I want to be shocked. I want to I see something wonderful. That's what I need. I want to see that. And the whole thing is turning into a bit of a sideshow. And remember, he's just come from a Samaritan village where no miracles took place, where people came to faith simply because they heard the words of Christ. No mention of miracles at all. The contrast is striking. 
But here in his home area, the people have come and they're saying, do some tricks. I want to be impressed. I want to be wowed. I want to see something unexplainable. I want my, my, my nerves to tingle because something is happening that's really out of the ordinary. And so he speaks to the man, but through him to the crowd, to the onlookers, some of them now jockeying for a position. They've heard him, they heard the man ask for a healing, and what is he going to do? How is this going to go? And so they're looking. And even though the reaction sounds negative, I want you to see how the man was able to persist in prayer in his requests. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies, verse 49. He's saying, don't mind these people. Don't mind this crowd. Don't mind their attitudes. Don't mind this, what's going on around us. Just focus on me. Focus on my need. I am desperate. And so he persists. Even this kind of negative beginning, he still persists. And the persistence of his request is our example in prayer. Because you can think of this as a prayer petition. He's asking something of Jesus, as we do from time to time saying, come with me, heal my son, before it's too late. And he, he won't be put off by the crowd or even Jesus' initial response. I like the, the example of persistence. Are you persistent in prayer? My wife is a persistent prayer. There are times when a need has come hold of her heart, a prayer need, and I've heard her say this, I've heard her say, well, I'm just going to have to be bothering God about that. And she does. She prays persistently, not obnoxiously, but persistently. If, for instance, we have a prayer need that we're persistently pursuing, and, and I'm saying blessing over the food before a meal, and I forget to mention that prayer, I'll feel a gentle hand on my arm. And Lord, and then we'll pray about that. Now, sometimes I just want to eat. But no, no, we've got to pray. Persistent praying. This man's persistence paid off. In verse 50, Jesus replied, You may go. Your son will live. How would you react if you were him? Wouldn't it have been easy to think, Jesus has just brushed me off? Especially since this is not what he's asked. He said, Come. And Jesus is not coming. You may go. Your son will live. There's no evidence. I don't see any flash of lightning go out of him, you know, across the miles. He asked him to come with me. He asked for something because the man was asking Jesus to do something he could envision. Here's what I can envision. I can envision you coming with me, Jesus, and we go into my son's sick room, and there you, you lay your hands on him. And I can envision some sort of power surge coming out of you into his body and him being healed. That's how I can envision this. It, it's, it seems logical if miracles can be logical. That seems logical. It's tangible, right? It's visual. It's almost like a treatment. This is the way that you give treatment, Jesus. So do that for my son. What he did not expect is a long distance, no contact, what we would call virtual healing. And he had no way to verify Jesus' words. And that's why the next word is so important. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. That's faith. Faith is unnatural. Doubt comes easy. Fear is natural. But faith is supernatural. 
It's a supernatural moment when you believe because the master has said it, it is true, even though I don't see it. That is a supernatural moment. And this man is having a supernatural moment. He took Jesus at his word with no evidence, Jesus at his word with no compliance to his request. And that's the essence of faith. And my point of this is this. If you want the Lord to answer your prayers from the pits, you have to have faith that He will answer and His answer is best. Not what Jesus says may be true. We have to say what Jesus says must be true because the, the Master has said those words. And so this man believed. And since he totally accepted that, even though it didn't go his way, he had gotten the real need met, he left. He took Jesus at his word and departed. And he's traveling to Capernaum, another 20 miles back. And this main road, really, that leads through Capernaum, many people travel that road. And so it was not at all uncommon to see people along the way. And as he approaches Capernaum, he sees servants from his own house. Yeah, I mean, you can imagine his first thought as they rounded the corner and he could recognize them. Maybe his first thought was, oh, no. I hope it's not bad news. But he saw the joy on their faces, and he knows they've come for, with good news. Your son is well. Really? Tell me about it. How did it happen? And they pegged it to the very moment when Jesus pronounced him healed. And the king's man, who already believed Jesus and trusted his word, continued to believe, and his entire household, that means the servants in his household and his family, they came to faith. Faith in what Jesus could do because he performs a long-distance miracle. So how does all this relate to prayer? Number one, the journey between Capernaum and Canaan, that initial journey was a prayer journey. His need was still there. The prayer was not yet answered. He probably re rehearsed in his mind how he was going to present it, how he would say it to Jesus. The need was on his heart, and he had, had that request on his lips. But he walked that journey step by step over the miles simply to get to the point where that need could be met. I say that because your prayer is a journey as well. If you have an issue for prayer that's persistent in your life, that is a journey. It's a prayer journey. You have to press on. You have to keep on. You have to pray on till the journey is complete. Secondly, I want you to see how Christ's answer to this request was better than this man could imagine. What if the request was, come to, come to Cana with me, and Jesus said, okay, I will. We've got a few things I've got to do here. I mean, come to, come to uh, Capernaum with me. I've got a few things I've got to do here in Cana. You know, I'm going to wrap a few things up, and then we'll go 20 miles. How long does it take to walk 20 miles? For all we know, the son would have died in the interim. Or maybe he gets there, and he goes up, and he goes into the sick room and heals the boy, and the doubters that are hanging around, they begin to say, you know, I think that he looked better already this morning. And this rabbi just came and took the, took the credit. But this way, an instantaneous recovery that comes with a wave of a hand 20 miles away, at the very moment that the pronouncement is made, this way, this long-distance, by-remote miracle, Sure, there would be some who would doubt, but for those who are willing to see the truth, this is way better. He just says it, and it happens. Christ's answer to your prayers are better than you can think to ask. So when you ask, pray for what He has for you. Pray for His will, and pray for His grace. And thirdly, I want you to see God doesn't leave loose ends. 
This father had to make the trip, but when he got back with the trip, the prayer request that was, was completed. He had a healthy son, and then he got a faithful family. Later, in the, over in the Gospel of Luke, we hear of believers in Herod's household. We don't know who they were, all of them, but maybe they were influenced by this family. See, that's the way, the way God works, no loose ends, no half-done solutions. He doesn't leave things undone. I saw a TV special a while ago. It was a, a documentary on the Vatican. And I learned something that I never knew before. There's an area of the Vatican called the Hall of Prisoners. And it's a hall where they've stored unfinished statues by Michelangelo. They were started in 1505, and they were intended to be columns in the tomb level of St. Uh, Peter's Basilica. There's four of them. They're never, they were never finished, but you can see the beginnings of, um, of men emerging from their prison of stone. Do we have a photo of that? There. There you, there you, you see the images. They're just starting to emerge from their, the prison of stone. And what, I, what struck me there was these will never be finished. Michelangelo is not coming back to complete the work, but Jesus will never leave you and will work on your prayer concern until you get the finished answer. He does not leave stories half done. He does not leave blessings undone. He does not leave loose ends. Jesus works for you till the work is completed. It may be a long journey of prayer, but persistent prayer will get it done because Jesus is near and Jesus is listening, and when he responds, it is always with love and grace. And to that we say, amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that we can trust you for answers that are beyond our comprehension. Forgive us for the times that we would tell you how to do what you do. Rather, Lord, we say, come, Lord Jesus, work your work in my life and in my heart. Have your way. I lay my problems before you so that your solutions can take hold. And I want what you want. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.